Welcome to the Coop Tank. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, coming to you from Sweet Recording in beautiful Mount Laurel, New Jersey. You know, people, if you have a video cast, a podcast, a book on tape, hell, even if you want a studio built, Sweet Recording's a place for you. Joe, Joe Gangemi, is the man. He produces this show. He will take care of you. He's fair, he's smart, and he knows what he's doing. So reach out to them at sweetrecording, S-U-I-T-E, recording.com, or email them at hello at sweetrecording.com. Anyway, we have a great show today. You know, I have never, most of the guests that come in here I've met and I've talked to, I have never met my guest. But our my friend Linda Milano sat there and met her at a networking event or something and sent me a message. She says, Steve, you have to get this woman on your show because she has a great story. She was a lawyer. Now she's gotten into this create your urgency. She's a... Uh, she does comedy. She's really living her life, and she has a lot of life lessons to teach us. And my guest is Queen Stewart. How you doing, Queen? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, Coop. Now, I got to ask you, is is that your real name, Queen, or is that something you turned down the road later and said, like, everyone calls me Coop because it's Cooper, but were you born with the name Queen? I was. I was. My mom had a lot of ambition for me, <laughs> and I'm trying to live up to that name. I have been trying since I was born. <laughs> so tell me tell me about, now, where are you from originally? What's your background? I mean, you you... You know, you became a lawyer, but what what were you like as a as a kid? Yeah, I grew up in Asbury Park, New Jersey, um, and the Asbury I grew up in is not the Asbury it is today. If you've been there recently, um, you know, I come from a pretty large family, um, a lot of disadvantage in my younger years, but I went on to college and law school and um, and became kind of um, a example for my siblings. Now, you said a lot of disadvantage. Yeah. What what made you focus? Because I always say, you know, I grew up in Cherry Hill. So I grew up, you know, in Cherry Hill. Mm-hmm. But I know people who, you know, when I went to Stockton State, people were in the EOF program. And they all sat there and they had that disadvantage. And they went and they learned to capitalize on it. What kept you going? Like when you were younger, what were your aspirations? Because I'm sure, you know, mm-hmm. if you say I want to be a lawyer, mm-hmm. if you're not in a great neighborhood, you're not going to be a lawyer. You know, just the old thing like when people who grow up with doctors say I want to be an actor, their parents are like, you're not going to be an actor, you're going to be a doctor. Yeah. But what what were your aspirations as a kid? What did you want to do? Well, um, well, it's funny. My mom watched Matlock a lot when I was a kid, and I literally wanted to be like Matlock. Um, and I wanted to be a detective, and I wanted to be in the courtroom. So very early on, I liked that type of stuff. And then my dad, um, he was always a very forward-thinking person, so he would always talk to me about college, even though he's never gone. His parents didn't go, but he would just kind of talk to me and sprinkle little seeds that grew into very tall plants. Now, where did you go to college? Montclair State. So I'm a Jersey girl through and through. Okay, so you go to Montclair. And is is your is your major law or, or are you not sure? Because I, I, my degree was in business. I got out and two years later I was touring as a stand-up comedian. So my degree didn't really help, which it did actually in the business aspect. But for you, what was... What was your what was your major? What did you want to do? Did you I mean you knew you knew you wanted to be Matlock, but that's when you're a little kid. What what was your path? Yeah, so a lot of times people think that they should go into political science. And so I did go into political science and I hated political science. And then I transferred over and they had just started a program called um, Justice Studies. And so I switched into the Justice Studies program because I knew I wanted to be in something with court injustice. So what is, if, you, if you're in a justice program though, like what, what is, like you became a lawyer, but what yeah. do other people in the justice program when they get out, do they become police officers? Do they become, like, what do you do when you're a justice, as you said? All of that, any of that, you know, cause undergrad, you can really, 
I mean, unless you know you want to be a doctor, right, and you take a lot of math and science and with justice studies, you can come out and do anything, really, and take that degree and apply it. So I do know people that came out and became um, law enforcement or went on and did political science or politics or attorneys like myself or taught or, you know, even like further their, their degree, master's programs and focus in more after that. So you get out. And then you decide to go to law school. Now, where do you go to law school at? Rutgers in Newark. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you go there. And when you're in, I always talk to lawyers, when you're in college and then in law school, do you already have an idea of what law you're going to practice? Or do you sit there and go, I want to get out. I want to pass the bar. And at any firm that offers me a job, I'm going to take it first. Because it's like anything, you have to, you have to you know, get your chops. But did you know what kind of law you wanted to do when you were in college? I thought I did. And I thought that would be family law, working specifically with um, children. So like a law guardian or, um, you know, attorney for the child in court proceedings, neglect, um, those types of proceedings. I even interned later in Washington, D.C., doing just that because that's what I thought I wanted to do. So you, you, get, you get to law school. Now, what's your path after you graduate? You take the, do you pass the bar the first time? No, <laughs> I know. I know. No, I, I. I know. I know a woman in L.A., one of the most brilliant women I know, and she failed it three times. And I know yeah. our friend. She used to study, and my friend, who's a a friend, but he's a moron, passed the first time. So, I mean, how 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 upsetting is that? Because you're busting your ass. You're. Mm. I mean, and it's. I just could imagine the pressure because you've gone through law school. You. This is what you're going to do. You know, like a lot of us get out of college, we start this. You go in, you fail. I mean, were you just devastated? I mean, what when you open it up, was it like it's not like when I got on the waiting list at Trenton State, so I went to Stockton. It's like it's like what what went through your head? Man. Um, so you like you said, some people, like my husband, for example, I mean, I don't even think that guy had to study and he passed the bar. But we were also planning our wedding. So I always want to give myself a little bit of grace and say, listen, we were planning a wedding for the summer after graduating law school. Not a good idea, right? Because who's doing most of the planning myself? And I've always been the type of person that needs to study really hard, you know, and even like take tests a couple of times, which I did for the SAT too. Um, so when I failed, um, I didn't pass the bar. Um, I was devastated. I was devastated and I shut everything down and just focused real hard to retake it immediately in February. And then I passed. So when you pass, what's your first job? Are you, do you go into family law first or what's your first job? No. So that was 2011. And if you remember 2010, 2011, I mean, even the top, top, top law students were not getting offers. And the top, top, top law students were taking a lot of the public interest jobs that I wanted, right? It was like a, a very weird time. So um, my husband, he swore me in, like in our living room, because I passed the bar and all I needed was someone who was already an attorney to do so. I was on Craigslist and I found a listing where the guy just needed someone to make an appearance, right? Appearance work. And from there, I started to work with this. Uh, he was an attorney, a solo practice in um, Newark. And I started to make court appearances. And then I started to do criminal and family law, but not that, uh, you know, working with children specifically. So I did that for about a year. And then where do you go? I mean, I know you. I know you become a litigator and stuff like that. But what, what what's your path to that? Because I want to find out. Because then you had the the news. We'll talk about. But so yeah. you're 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 getting out there now. You have your bar. 
I mean, you pass the bar, so you have that, and you're doing appearances and you're doing this. But when do you really start saying, focusing on your career when you sit there and go, I really want to get this job? Yeah. So um, I've always been a butterfly. Um, so it's not surprising that, like, my career literally was like plop into different flowers. So somehow I got into the political scene in our hometown, well, my husband's hometown where we lived after law school, which is Plainfield, New Jersey. And I made some connections there and I started to work at the Assembly Majority Office in Trenton. So I went from making appearances to now I'm working uh, politically in the Assembly Office as Assistant County Counsel with other attorneys, um, which I really like. That's where I got the the bug really for that fast-paced policy legislative work and I did that for a year got pregnant Um, then I brought it back home to Plainfield and I worked for the county council's office and there I did um, work for social services so I represented um, social services in um, cases against well not against but for the Department of Social Services when people were receiving benefits, we would bring them to court and to see if they had um, other means or were there um, parents involved that weren't um, providing, should we sue them to make sure that, you know, they're getting social services, but someone should, should pay as well. So I did that work for a while. And then we moved to South Jersey and I was uh, fortunate enough to find a position with Liberty Mutual where I actually gained courtroom experience and did trials and these things, Coop, are not things I thought I would be doing, but I kind of like start to fall into them. Did you enjoy trial work? I mean, because, I mean, was it, because you're on stage. I mean, I watch Law and Order, and I always love Carisi on SVU. And uh, you're you're on stage. I mean, you are on stage. No matter what everyone says, you know, lawyers can say, well, I'm sorry. Well, you know, if, if you're shy, don't be a lawyer if you want to be in the courtroom because, and you have to have an air about you. Yep. You know, you're so, so what was it like, like your first time when you hit, like, not like a family, like a court where you're like, oh my God, there's like people here. I mean, were, were you hungry or were you like, oh, I'm a little scared? It was my Matlock moment. It it finally happened for me. Um, I did very, very well in trial work. Um, I think what helped me was, like you said, I've always had like a, a performance about me. Um, I was a very imaginative child. I watched a lot of TV. I was always in my head um, a lot. And now I was able to display that in a courtroom. Um, I relate well with people. And I have this kind of silent, um, I mean, as it was stated to me, like a silent um, power about me that goes over well. I mean, one time I, I was in a trial. And I, I, I won like 95% of my trials. Um, and the judge even said to me, and I won't say which judge it was, but he said, he was basically saying you play not dumb, like not dumb, but like innocence that in a way that wins over the people. Right. And I don't know. I didn't like I'm not purposely playing an innocence. I'm just laying out things that to me are very simple and obvious, but it's not too overpowering. It's not, you know, it's, it's just confidence and grace, I think. What do you, do you think? Being a good lawyer, it's also instinctual. Like, you know where to go. Like, you sat there, like you said, you know, you may have been laying off this air of innocence when actually it's just you and it's instinct. But do you think that's very important that someone has instinct where they go, 
you know what, you have to know what you're doing, but you also have to, I think, throw out something that you know, even though it may sound like it's not going to jive, it does. To be a successful trial attorney, I I think you definitely need a a certain amount of um, emotional intelligence, like to connect with people, because especially if you're in front of a jury of 7, 10, 12 people, and we know the jury because we've, you know, vetted them and we've picked the jury. When you're talking to convince the jury, you have to remember different things about each person sitting in that box. And so when you say certain things, you know you're, you're hitting, I'm hitting Michelle because I remember Michelle said this during our questioning of her to be on this. Or I'm hitting, you know, Joe. Or, you know, you are saying certain things and connecting, especially you have to wrap in the story and what is the case about. You obviously have to be smart, but you have to be able to connect to people. How, how hard is it? I always wondered, you know, because everyone says, I got jury duty. I want to get out of it. I'm going to say, oh, I'm racist or, oh, I hate this person. Oh, I, oh, I hate all criminals. But I mean, how hard is it as a lawyer? Because, you know, that's who's deciding the case. How hard is it? Like, is there certain flags that go up or do you know when someone's bullshitting? Like when you sit there and go, oh man, this person's just trying to get out of jury duty. Right. I mean, how do you, how do you do that? It must, and it must be a learned skill because it's just, I mean, if I walked in, I'm a Scorpio. I can, and I'm, I did comedy. Yeah. So I can, we can, we have, we can tell who people are. I can tell that. I told my yeah. wife, oh, that guy's an asshole. Well, I know, I said, you know, but so we know, but how, how do you learn? Cause I always wonder, cause I'm not going to tell my friends because mm. everyone wants to get out of jury duty. You make like five dollars a day, but how how can you tell if someone's a good or bad juror? Is is it something that you just feel it, or what? What's up? Well, first let me say shout out to Scorpios, October twenty seventh, myself, October thirtieth, yay! Mm-hmm. And then secondly, um, you know, please, if you get called for jury duty, this is for your listeners. Please, please do not try to get out of jury duty. We, if it was your case or your matter, you would want. Uh, uh, you know, a group of your peers to decide fairly. I mean, it is so very important. And I always wish I could be on a jury, but no one ever wants a, a lawyer on a jury. Um, although I would allow lawyers to be on a jury, it depends. Um, but when we're going through voir dire, right, is what we call it when we're picking the jury, um, there were is a couple of things. And you can never really know because it is a short period of time. But for me, um, when I was picking a jury, it wasn't just about the case. It was also about how does the jury feel about me? Because I'm the one who's going to be trying to convince them about something. So I had times where, um, as we're questioning, the juror, potential juror, would not look me in my eye. I don't know why, but I don't want you. Because right. there's something. Why aren't you? You're looking, you're looking at my counterpart. Um, whether he's male, whether he's white, young, old, fem- but you won't look at me. Um, and then, you know, I always want, and I hate to say this, but uh, educated, you know, and it doesn't mean like schooling, just you have to come off as, um, you know, some smarts about you because that's better for a jury most times. I would think that just because you, you don't you don't want someone who is, reacting on their opinion you want someone who is actually educated and, mm-hmm. I, and that makes sense because mm-hmm. i wouldn't if i was in in court i wouldn't want a bunch of idiots on my you know because then I'm, they're my peers and everyone's saying i'm an idiot but so okay so you're 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 doing the trials you're doing well and then when do you find out that you have cancer mm. so i went through uh with i worked with liberty liberty mutual for about t- three years 
And um, during COVID, in the middle of COVID, I decided to go out on my own to start my own practice. Um, and this was personal injury focused, but it was a general practice because I was building the practice. Now, my experience happened personal injury, insurance defense, um, but I was open to real estate, family law, um, and obviously personal injury. So I um, had my own practice for a year, did very well primarily in real estate because that was, you know, COVID, the interest rates were super low. I mean, it was a lot of business representing people buying and selling homes. Um, I did so well that I was able to get office space in Cherry Hill, and this was in the summer of 2021. I found out I had stage three breast cancer in October of 2021. How did you, I mean, were you, I think I had a heart condition a while ago. It was a regular heartbeat, and I ignored it. I ended up in the hospital for eight days. And my body... Finally, I felt like there was something wrong, even though I didn't want to say it. Did you have any any symptoms? I mean, I mean, what what was it leading up? Because you're you're getting clients. It's not like it's 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 not like it's affecting you directly because you know you're building your practice, you're doing yeah. well. What how did you what happened? I, this is just fascinates me because our health. I always tell people our health is so important, and a lot of times we will see a little. A little sign but we ignore it and then all of a sudden you're like oh my god we have to go to the doctor but but what was what what made you go to the doctor and get the diagnosis yeah um so first i'll tell you about little things that were happening that no one would have said even the doctor because i did go in but no one would have said you may have breast cancer. So these little things that were happening, a year before my diagnosis, um, I was having um, heavy night sweats, like heavy, I mean, drenching night sweats. Okay, I go to the doctor, they check some hormonal things. Who knows, I had a baby the year before. Okay, we forget about that. Another thing, I um, tend to get cold sores and I always, whenever I have the opportunity to talk about these things, I do because other people could be experiencing this cold sores on your mouth um, since I was a child. But the year before, they were happening so frequently, right? Again, I go to my dermatologist and we're trying to figure out, get it under control. Who knows what this is from? Fast forward, um, in October, my birthday month of 2021, the beginning of October, um, beginning to mid, my right arm, I noticed when I would put my right arm down, I was bumping up against something, okay? And for maybe a week, I would just like touch it and then I would compare the other side and I said, okay, no, this is this is different. Um, and that brought me into my GYN who sent me to get a, um, a mammogram and an ultrasound. Before they did that though, they kind of assured me, you know, it might just be a cyst, you know, my age, I was... 35 at the time. Um, they were not concerned, but thank goodness that they did send me for a mammogram and an ultrasound because it was clear from that that there was cancer. So you find out you have it. Yeah. Okay. I can imagine what you go through. I mean, it's like a thing with my, when I was, I tell people when I was in the hospital for eight days, my injection fraction, which is usually 70, 65 to 70% is a 24%. I'm lucky I didn't have cardiac arrest and die. And you sit there and you have a lot of time to think. And this is where you change and you've, you've, going a different direction and you think and and people if you've never been in the hospital for a long time it's scary as, as all hell and I won't I mean I would sit there and I go am I gonna die and that's the weirdest thing and you're mm -hmm. sitting there and I'm, I'm in the bed and, mm -hmm. and it's 
I had to pay for TV and it was crappy TV. And my wife would drive down to Deborah mm. and come in and we'd watch Jeopardy. I would say, go home. Because I'm like, why are you going to hang out? You know, I'm just sitting here. And you don't shower, you just lay there. And you do a lot of thinking. What was going through your mind when you first heard it? Because, you know, we have such a, there's such a cancer. You know, it's such a word. What went through your mind? I mean, because were you just, were you devastated? I mean, you looked at your, you must look at your daughter. I mean, I, I want to know, I don't want to delve too deep, but what went through your mind when that happened? Because you were young, you still are young. I mean, me, I'm, I'm, I was 50, 56, but I was getting married soon. I was like, I better, I better be okay. I gotta get to a wedding. We, we don't get a refund on our deposit. But so what, what went through your, uh, I mean, what was going through your mind? Okay. <laughs> um, I, I, Obviously, I still get very emotional about it. It hasn't even been two years. Um, so I went to um, South Jersey Radiology. That's where I had the mammogram and ultrasound. Sorry. It's fine. Because I, I want to know. Because you've, 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 you're so inspirational to people for what you're doing now. So they, we need to hear this story. So as the woman was um, doing the ultrasound, I could feel that she was spending a lot of time on my on certain areas in my right breast and I and she probably doesn't even know this I turned my head to the left and I just started to cry and then um the uh the radiologist the one who you know looks at everything looks at the um I guess the imaging right they normally do not come into your room um they send the report because i've had studies done before and um they send they, they always tell you the tech okay uh the images will be sent to your doctor and they'll let you know right but no this day the radiologist he came into the room and i like to say his name be <sighs> sorry dr apple because i truly um he meant a lot to me because when he came in, he very old, older man. And you could tell he's been doing this a long time. And he like, you know, he just had an air of, you know, this is what I do and I know what I'm doing. And he came in, and he had these papers and he just looked at me and said, so you found your own lump? And I said, yeah. And then um, I just started to cry and and because they don't normally tell you. Right. They want your doctor to tell you. Right. But I'm. I'm very forceful sometimes. <laughs> You're and, the queen. <laughs> and I'm like, um, doctor, I'm crying. I'm crying at this point. And I'm like, please just tell me. Just tell me. Um, what do you think? Just tell me what you think. I'm like, my girls. And I just start going on this rant. I have two small girls. What do you think? What do you think? And then he just said, um, don't give up on yourself. And that, from the beginning, has stuck with me through all of this. So I do like to say his name and to thank him. Because I always remember when people ask me about this moment, I always remember how Dr. Apple said to me, do not give up on yourself. And that was the start of the whole journey. Now, tell me about the journey. Now, we're going to get you the journey. It's, you know, it's it's uh, the sense you're dealing with a sense of urgency. So there was, I'm guessing there was all the stuff that you probably wanted to do, but you like a lot of people do, you're, you know, you, you, you suppress it because you, you know, you have wanted to have the career, but there's things like, you know, comedy and singing and stuff like that. So when do you just say, excuse the language, fuck it. I'm, 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 I'm doing this. I mean, what was that? Because that must've been, I think very vindicating. It's just very, 
a freedom, just like, you know, I don't care. I'm going to, I'm going to go out and whatever happens, I'm going to live my best life. When, when was that? What was, there has to be a, probably a defining moment where you just said, I'm, Joe, I'm going to bang the table. Okay. Uh, now tell me, cause that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so I started to, um, document my whole journey on social media, starting with the double mastectomy. And I was just really to, to update friends and family because, I got tired of the phone calls. I got tired of updating people. I was never a big telephone person. So I was putting everything on social media um, for me, but also for them. And then there was one day coming from um, chemotherapy where I was reflecting because after the diagnosis, I, there was a lot of reflection, um, obviously, like a perspective change. It was just like a lot going on in my head after being diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, and I was coming from chemotherapy and I, the video is on my social media and the sun was shining and I was thinking a whole lot about the idea of success and the idea of making it, um, quote unquote, making it from Asbury Park and becoming like a, a you know, this image of success. And, and I, and I thought, okay, I was not very happy in my practice I felt like I can say to people, I have my own law office, I'm running my practice, I'm a boss, but to my core, I didn't feel like I was happy or quote unquote, um, you know, free or, or liberated. And then I just said, well, if that wasn't it for me, then what is it really? Like there now is the time to figure out, well, what will really make you happy? That wasn't making you happy. It was making you look a certain way that People can now look at her, oh, she has her practice, and oh, I'm this and I'm that, but that wasn't doing it for me in my soul, like for purpose. And I just said, well, if if not now, then when? And like you said, fuck it. You know, like, um, I don't care anymore. Like, I literally am facing my mortality. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care what they think. I am going to live. I'm going to pursue things that I've never pursued because of quote unquote time, which is so stupid when people stop themselves from doing things because of time, um, because there is no time like the present. Right. Um, and that's, I just start to do shit. <laughs> so what did you start doing? Because I know, you know, cause so, so you're sitting there and, and it's funny and, and I, I agree with you. I think, you know, there are so many people who worry about a title. I always say people like, oh, I want to be on a, a board of something. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, most times you pay to be on a board. I'm like, and, and in the long run, what does the board get you? You know, what does it, so, so what, are you going to put on your tombstone? Like, was a board member? No. People will go, hey, Cooper was a nice guy. I'm fine with that. But you're right. So many people, they don't feel, and I wish people were instilled in a young age, you know, there's, there's a freedom. And, you know, you, I, I mean, I know a lot of actors who have been on TV shows and then they don't work for two years and they're, they're broke, but they're like, you know what? This is what I do. I'm an actor. You go, and I go, I've been on TV. Now I'm not, I haven't been able to work, but this is what's in my heart. And this is what makes me happy. And I think people need to do that. So what did you start doing when you sat there and said, fuck it? Yeah. What did you start doing? What was your, what, what was your first, objective like I, I gotta do this like you know I, I wish i know you sing i can't sing yeah. i would love to be on stage and sing but i suck i can't even sing karaoke i do lou reed because he talks but what was the first thing that you did when you see when you had this new and it's an epiphany somewhat yes yes it was the singing i've like 
always loved to sing. Um, just a little songbird, but super um, self-conscious and afraid of what other people thought of my voice. So I signed up for singing lessons. Um, that didn't go well because I was in the in the tough, tough stages of chemo. So I didn't have the energy that I thought I would, even though I signed up and I went and then I would have to cancel classes. And then I just started to sing online. So I just, I let the classes go and I just started to sing online. Um, and then it was the comedy. It, I signed up for a stand-up one-on-one course. Who was your teacher? Um, Chip Chandry at uh, Helium. I'm, I'm friends with Chip. Yes. I, 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 I'm actually, me and Chip knew each other. And, uh, and what, we knew each other just from Facebook, and then we met for coffee. He's much taller than I thought. He He's tall. like six no, He just bought a house. Um, oh, congratulations! But uh, so, so you did. The, you went to the comedy class, and yeah. now what did you get to the comedy? Because okay, as my background in stand up, but I still took a comedy class, and I always think you can't teach anyone to be funny. I think a comedy class probably sat there and said, first of all, you probably had no no re idea where do I go to perform, and you probably yeah. know how to put an act together. So is yeah. that when yeah. you went, what when you went in, what were you expecting from the class? I wanted to learn how to present my jokes on stage, and, and I should note. I never before cancer never thought about doing stand up comedy. I just always felt I was funny. I always thought I was funny. I always liked to be like a wise ass. People know that about me. My family was surprised that I went into stand up comedy, but they would all say, "Yeah, you always got something smart to say." And I did have a friend in law school who always laughed at me. Um, I don't know if she was laughing at me, like, but she always made me feel like I was funny. <laughs> and I just wanted to I wanted to try it. I wanted to try it. So what was your first night? I'll tell you my first night on stage. I, I went to the Comedy Factory out in Philly and I had a great set. Of course, people I knew were there. And I sat there and I went, oh, I'm, oh, I'm going to be headlining this club next week. You know, because you get that attitude. And then I go up the next week and I die. And then I leave with a little whimpering tail and I don't come back for like two months. What was your first experience like? Because first of all, you were... You had more going for you than these other people because you've been in front of people as a lawyer. Exactly. And in, in the class, um, they would always say, Queen, you like you have you're so calm and and I would tell them it's a lot because I was a trial attorney. I think that hands down helped me not be afraid on stage. But cancer fighting cancer, because I was doing my stand up class during chemotherapy, that made me even more fearless. Like, I can literally die. You think I care about, you know, if these people are going to laugh or not? And strangers at that? Like, I I, I don't care. Um, but are you asking me about when I first bombed? No, your first, your first <laughs> night on stage. Because oh, okay. most, people, most people do good the first night, and then they usually oh, bomb yeah. the second time. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, Chip told us. That, so we had the graduation class, um, a graduation um, show. And he said, this will be the best show you ever have because it's all friends and family, really. And it was like, ugh, it was amazing. It was like the best feeling ever. Um, trying to think. My first open mic, which I did during the class, was at the CKB. Was it CKB? Cross Keys Brewery. Car Cross Keys Brewery. And that went well. Um, now, did, did you talk about cancer or what did you talk about? Did you, did you, because, you know, once again, you know, Robert Schimmel was a great comic and he uh, had cancer and he was mm. really blue. He worked blue, but he was so funny. But when he started talking about his cancer, you know, it takes a really good comic to, mm -hmm. to get, to make cancer funny. Mm -hmm. I mean, Dennis Leary's first special is No Cure for Cancer. Mm -hmm. Were you talking about cancer mm -hmm. when you're doing it? So, mm -hmm. so how, how, how do you, 
deliver that to a crowd? Like, how do you get them? Did you go up and say, by the way, I have cancer? And then hear them go, oh, and, they, yeah. and you make a joke. Because this yeah. fascinates me because, yeah. I mean, I would never go, I mean, it would scare the shit out of me to do that because I'd like, well, the crowd, I don't want sympathy. But how did, how yeah. did you interact that in? I'll take all the sympathy, sympathy laughs you'll give, honestly. <laughs> like, so you ha- I have to start with, because a lot of my material, especially when I first started, all cancer, right? And I start with the fact that I was diagnosed and I started uh, stand-up during chemotherapy as a way to make light of my situation. And then people, are, they calm down because then I can say the cancer joke jokes without them feeling like can I laugh because one time I forgot to say that and I went into cancer jokes and it was very awkward I'm like oh wait they don't realize that this actually helped me so they can calm down and laugh with me so I have to let them know why I'm I'm telling cancer jokes um and they're and they're funny like um you know family stuff you know like all the the throw covers that say amazing things like you know no one fights alone but I don't need another throw cover. And so please stop. Like I have a jokes about that. Like, you know, send me to Disneyland. Like I'm like I don't need any more of these small, small gifts. So I joke about that in my husband. Like I have a amazing joke I say is amazing about um, you know, he made sure to be at the appointment with the plastic surgeon for my reconstructive surgery. Right. Like like and we talk about like how he I talk about how he... Go D. What? Right, right. Like, exactly. Throw some Ds on her. Like, you know, he didn't miss that appointment um, and how he thought he was in a car dealership when we were there. But, you know, like, stuff like that. Um, Cancer, but real life. Now, besides the comedy, you also... You're doing speaking, too, right? Yes. Now, Now, is that because you really want to help people? Is it just something that, I mean... And how do you... How do you put together a presentation when you know you might get emotional and which is fine but, but that's but that's a natural reaction i think yeah. that that is more endearing to a crowd but what made what made you decide to get into the speaking um people need to know that if you don't create urgency in your life now you may not have the time to later today or tomorrow i don't think i know that most of us are are we're living because this is what I was doing. I was building a practice just because I felt like that's what I should have been doing. And I was not fulfilling or nourishing things that really made me joyful. That's no way to live. Like I know now, like I know that just trying my singing and singing for people brings me so much joy. I know now that attempting to be funny on stage and making people laugh makes me feel so good about myself. I know those things now. And there's things that even you, you're doing it with, with your podcast and the other things you do, but there may be something else that can also bring you so much joy. And if I can tell people and they can think about it and, oh yeah, queen, I can start painting again. I mean, I have my aunt. I had no idea my aunt was a, um, an artist that she drew. I started to see pictures on Facebook. Oh, I text her, Auntie, you draw? Thanks to you, Nisi. Thank you for your message, right? And people keep saying that to me. And so that's why I want to talk about it. Like, create urgency, guys. Like, I could have gone through a whole career uh, and been stressed and not spending a lot of time with my family for money and doing nothing for myself. How important do you think positivity is? And just, you know, you know, 
the over positive person annoys the shit out of us. You know, you know the, the phony. Oh, you're like no, now, it, it, like your life's not that great. You know, I run into it all the time. Networking people, oh, your business isn't going that great. You know, and, and if you just ask for help, people would help you. But we all know you're full of shit. Right. But how for you? How how important is positivity? Like for you, when you wake up, and if you're in a crappy mood, okay, do you say it's okay? I'm gonna get out of it, or do you go? Mm. Oh, I gotta get myself positive right now. No. What do you do when you wake up in a bad? Because we all wake up in bad mm -hmm. moods, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I and I I do often. I mean, I do have highs and lows. I've had them before cancer. I still have them, um, and I also have my medical card. So thank you. <laughs> but uh, it, that helps me. But um, no, you have to live in your emotions. Like I don't like that's not like that's not realistic to just like wish away with positivity real down feelings like you have to look at those and deal with those and that's why I'm, I'm so appreciative and grateful for when I'm having good days I mean I I live and bask in my good days because I know that I'll have a day where I'm really depressed or I'm thinking about a memory that's not so great whether it's cancer or childhood these things happen um so I think that's also why people will relate to me when I talk to them because I'm not telling you to be happy and nice and, and glad all the time because we're human beings. That's not even like a real thing. Um, so those people are quite annoying. I know those people too. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, I live in my emotions, and but just you got to get out of them. Like, so, cause you know, people too, that some people like to live in misery and, and those people, you know, you have to have your boundaries. So when I get a bit miserable, I know that I'm going to be out of this. Now I read somewhere and maybe you can tell me if it's true. I'm sure it is. It was on the internet. MLK free, MLK freedom award. Yes. Now you won that or you're nominated. I was nominated. So what were, what were you nominated for? Because anything attached to MLK must be awesome. Because, you, yeah. know, you know, what was that about? What was How did they find you and what was the award that yeah. you were nominated for? I was nominated and then I did win. Um, okay, so you, you're a winner. I was, yes, yes. Good, I, don't want, I don't want to loot now. Yeah, yeah. Good. So tell me, uh, tell me what um, the award is and how they found out about you. Well, um, so when I say I put everything on social media, I started to educate people about cancer and about things that they could look out for just based on my journey. Um, and I mean, everything. And I, I brought people in the doctor's office during my chemo as my port was being accessed. Um, I talked about, um, you know, my radiation. I After my radiation, I showed what happens. I explained the terms. Um, I was just very open and transparent. Um, and transparency is, um, or vulnerability is, truly my superpower one of them because it lets people know like queen is talking but she's talking for a purpose i want you to think about these things i want you to learn from something i'm doing so really it came from um like teaching and educating people online about cancer my cancer what was happening to me what you should look out for giving people tips about things um garments you know i would say stuff like if you if you or someone you know i would make jokes about it is going through this they can look at these items for the mastectomy or you know and i just start to educate i did that and i still do it um and so they i was nominated for um service and you won and i won so that must be a great feeling. It was so, it was amazing. I mean, yeah, what is your, because you know, you, you've, you've been very vulnerable and you've been very open and it must be something that you're, you're getting rewarded for it. And it's probably, I would guess, I may be wrong, but it's probably a bigger reward 
interest in, internally than anything you ever did when you were a lawyer. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, there was a time where I um, I was a law guardian for children, um, and that was rewarding as well, you know, to help, you know, vulnerable kids going through ne- neglect cases. Um, but this, yeah, this was one of the highlights. What is, and if you can think, what is one of the most impactful things in, since you've gone through this, that someone has come up and said to you, you know, we always do it as a comedian. You know, people go, oh, you know, my, my, you know, my, someone just passed away and, and I came tonight and I left and it makes you feel great. I had with my other podcast, the friend of mine's father, I went to his funeral. He said, oh, he would listen to your show all the time during chemo. And that choked me up, you know, and I was like, oh, wow, because I used to talk, my other show, I talked to a lot of classic musicians and stuff like that. But what is the one, what is one instance, and you can cry if you want, because I know you are, <laughs> I we got the tissues happening. right there. But what is the one instance where someone came up to you and you, and you in your mind said, everything I've done, this, this makes it so worthwhile. Yeah. Um, there were a few moments, but this one in particular, um, and I can share this because I've been given permission, um, one of my good friends from law school who amazing i'm talking about superstar law student um great job out of law school um everyone looked to her like as an example and we had uh grown apart but she followed me she followed the story on social media and she reached out to me and she said she was going to be in my area on a particular weekend. But um, and she wanted to see me. She wanted to hang out. But we needed to talk before we saw each other on the phone. And she told me, um, Queen, I for years struggled with um, depression, struggled with um, suicidal, suicidal ideation. Um Things that I never knew about her. Things that shocked me, right? Because you see a person and you just never know. I mean, we hear about, you know, celebrities who out of nowhere commit suicide, right? And she said, um, much of what I put online um, helped her in that she, like, she quit her career. She and her husband moved to another state. She's, She's working on ranches with horses and her husband is pursuing his acting career um like dead like this is like this is like for me right who I'm a big Beyonce fan Beyonce telling me that my dance moves like inspire her you know what I mean like I was like wow you know like what I'm doing is really um helping people and people that are close to me that I had no idea that I would be helping like the example with my aunt who draws had no idea she drew um it just it it remind it it um, confirmed that talking as much as I am and being vulnerable is helping people. So what's what's the future for Queenster? What what do you you know you're doing all this stuff? I mean, you know, stand up's not pretty. I mean, it's fun, but you know, we're not going to make any living at it. It's not you know, we're not going to tour the world. I mean, you know, I mean, you, you might, but it, it's a pain <laughs> in the ass. You have kids, and you don't want to, you know, and and that's just a believe me. I know I used to go on the road a lot with guys with kids, and, and we're not going to talk about that. But uh, what what do you what what's your goals now? Like like you know, do you want to just do you want to keep pushing the word out? I mean, what do you want to do in the next year? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, create urgency, which is um the the. The wording is trademark pending, create urgency. I want to be such a huge movement for people. Um, I continue to host shows with 
American Cancer Society. I have one coming up in August as like a fundraiser. I want to continue to host those shows, bring comedy and cancer aware- with cancer awareness. Um, my documentary is being edited now, um, which goes through everything I did over the past year and a half. Um, and that's going to come out. Um, and I want to just continue to talk and, and have the ability like you gave me here today. So thank you to put this message out so more people can start living their lives like truly for joy. Now, how can people get in touch with you? Instagram, queen underscore Esquire underscore. createurgency.net is the website. For Don't you hate that? Like someone had .com, didn't they? Someone had .com. I, that, my, my other my <laughs> website for my podcast, coopertalk.net, I've been doing it for 12 years. Someone had .com and now they want like $4,000. I'm like, I'm not giving you $4,000. No, no. So it's createurgency.net. That's right. And now what will they find on that? On there, you'll find updates about the documentary. Um, you'll find different speaking engagements. I'm going to have clips on there. Right now, you 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 get the story that I just kind of told you. You'll get the story on the website. But everything create urgency. And if someone's listening, who is struggling with something right now, whether it be emotional, physical, mental, everything, what what is your message to them? Don't give up on yourself. And think about when you were a child, the things you like to do and the things that really made you happy and start doing those things. Well, there you go, people. So go check out create createurgency.net. And whoever's createurgency.com, you're a dick. <laughs> uh, createurgency.net. And on Instagram, it's queen underscore esquire. Underscore. Underscore. And people, so check it out. You know, if you know someone who's who's gone through something, send her to, send her to queen's site. Uh, you can check out all my past episodes at thecooptank.podbean.com, which is also on Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeart. My other show, uh, Cooper Talk, you can find it at coopertalk.net. You can email me, thecooptank at yahoo.com. Also, RVN Television, every Friday and Saturday night, I host Cooper Talk Local, where I talk to the, some of the top comedians and musicians that are very established in the Philadelphia area. I want to give a shout out to Joe Ganjemi here at Sweet Recording. Seriously, people, if you're thinking about a podcast, hit up Joe. Hit up them at hello at sweet, S-U-I-T-E, recording.com. I'm Steve Cooper, and I will talk to you guys next week.